0: Welcome to The Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 290 on Tuesday, the 26th of November, 2019. Hello, I'm Andrew. Hello, I'm Richard. And this week, where we won't be breaking any glass, we'll be asking instead why Uber thinks hard work is a defence. We wonder about Citroën's WRC announcement, and we have to say sorry. So, the sorry bit, let's get this out of the way. Last week when we were talking about about Morris Commercials van, we incorrectly stated that the plug-in grant was £3,500. That's not for vans, that's for cars. Uh, Daniel Puddicum, a friend of the show, uh, kindly pointed out our error and made it clear that for vans, the grant can be up to £8,000. What they do is they will pay 20% of the purchase price, up to that maximum. So <laughs> the Morris van is nearly seventy grand, not Sixty, sixty-two. That we were thinking it was. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: even more expensive than we thought. I think it was sixty. They quoted uh, I was at the launch last week, and it was sixty. They quoted, I think, that day, but
0: in- in- including monies from governments. <laughs> whether that still stands in twenty twenty one as well, who knows? <laughs> indeed, whether we indeed. have a government or a country or indeed <laughs> a planet. <laughs>
1: Just like getting too depressing so early on. I know.
0: Well, uh, on that front, why don't you take us to the next bit of follow-up? Okay.
1: This is follow-up from episode 52 in July 2016. And Germany is going to fine BMW, Daimler and Volkswagen $111 million for their steel cartel for unlawful actions in relation to steel purchases according to this automotive news Europe story
0: yeah <laughs> fixing prices <laughs>
1: <laughs> it says from 2004 to 2013 they regularly met steel makers and other companies in the supply chain to discuss uniform surcharges when purchasing steel
0: yes kind of uh, seems a little bit uh, implicating or implying that it's bullying to <laughs> Your prices will be this if you wish to continue, is what it seems like to me. And this is, we were saying this last week, but this is another dent to Germany's once highly thought of car industry. It's another, Mm. I mean, it's in the past, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Hopefully this sort of activity isn't happening anymore. But BMW just announced they're going to be trying to save. I can't remember the exact figure, but it was billion in it between now and not too long in the in the future so suppliers are going to get squeezed again because uh, that's one of the main ways that they do this so yeah it's not a great look for for the german car industry it's another dent it's an, it gives more more ammunition to those who are having a little pop or quite a big pop at cars and the industry and how they've behaved and how much power they've had in the past
1: mm, mm, which i mean is a shame BMW has said that their penalty would be around 28 million euros. Daimler was 23.5. And the Volkswagen Group has declined to comment on the amount it would pay. But welcomed the end of the probe. <laughs> but interestingly, I, I hadn't realized that long steel is a product. And long steel is the steel type which has been affected by this cartel. And it accounts for less than 1% of the car's final value. And it's used for crankshafts, gear wheels, and steering rods. I just thought steel was steel. You know, that's, that's <laughs> me showing sure, my ignorance. Uh,
0: there's, different, there's different grades for different uh, different applications. But, uh, yes. Right, I'm going to move on to the next bit of follow-up. And it's been a while since we've talked about Gone Gate. But Carlos and Carol Gone have been allowed to talk to each other directly for the first time in seven months. Now, let's not all get too excited because it's only a one-off. For one hour, they were allowed a video call, and they are back to now having to go through intermediaries to communicate with each other as husband and wife. This puts into, into focus again, in our eyes particularly, how harsh the Japanese system appears to be this is one of the lines that the uh, that defence has taken and said that the prosecutors only requested this just as part of a psychological attack against against uh, carlos gone uh, you know just continuing ramping it or continuing this this constant uh, attack on his mental state which doesn't seem through. to have cracked yet he seems to be uh, holding firm i mean this is but uh, it can't be too long now before this gets to actual court and then the fireworks really start because mm. Ghosn's defence is resting on proving a conspiracy involving the Nissan executives and the Japanese government. <laughs> so, yes. That's, not aiming high. <laughs> no, i say that's fairly high up, yes.
1: <laughs> and he could face 15 years in prison. Gosh.
0: Probably, no doubt, that's on top of what he's already done. Yes, yes. Seems quite harsh. But uh, anyway, that's if he's done what he's accused of. Yes. Yes. They don't mess with that sort of thing in Japan. Clearly. No,
1: I do like that pitchy, that Bloomberg picture. His face is fantastic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's
1: like, it's almost like a a caricature cartoon character.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, talking to court cases, do you want to lead into General Motors swinging from the hip? Uh, very surprisingly.
1: (laughs) Yes, GM is suing Fiat Chrysler, uh, alleging that Fiat Chrysler got an unfair business advantage because it bribed officials of the United Auto Workers Union. This was a, a lawsuit that was filed last Wednesday in Detroit and alleges that FCA was involved in racketeering by paying millions in bribes in order to get concessions and gain advantages in three labor agreements with the union,
0: GM have really gone to town on this. This is this is really uh, shocking news, mm. frankly. Uh, I know it's America and everything, but this this will have major implications whether it's been proved right or wrong. Yes, I feel yeah. I think this will reverberate around because if General Motors are deemed to have brought false allegations or if or if FCA are dean not to be guilty of this, I can imagine a humongous countersue, mm, mm. Whatever whatever the corporate equivalent of defamation of character is.
1: <laughs> well yeah, and I, I just thought and it is made clear in this article from Time that it could disrupt the PSA or Greek PSA merger that's currently ongoing.
0: Yeah, but um, PSA and FCA today sent a letter stroke email to employees saying they're hoping to have this all signed and and done in the next week or so. They don't think it is. But you can imagine if this dense FCA share price, Mm -hmm. as in how much PSA are prepared to pay to do this joint venture, however that's working, and shareholders lose out, if FCA are not found guilty, I can see the shareholders suing GM as well for monies they've lost, <laughs> mm. Mm. because this has you know this all gets it all gets starts to get really very messy.
1: Mm.
0: But if FCA have bribed union officials and therefore been able to get on with what they wanted, and then let the uh, unions target rivals to make sure that there is. That their their time is uh, taken up dealing with, you know, the likes of GM and Ford are taken up dealing with uh, the negotiations, then uh, that's pretty horrific business tactics as well. And they do say that he goes back, you
1: know, right to the central figure with Sergio Macione.
0: Yes, who's not about to defend himself. No, no, indeed. Make of that what you will. Hmm, Indeed. Right, let's move on to one of the larger... I mean, I I, I put that up first because I think that's bigger than perhaps this next article, even Mm -hmm, though mm -hmm. uh, it's not in the UK. But Uber has lost its operating license thanks to Transport for London deciding it's not going to renew it. An appeal has been lodged by Uber. But one of the major issues that Transport for London have had is that there is in the region of 14,000 pickups have been undertaken by a driver who was not the originally licensed driver because there was, I don't know if there still is, but there was a glitch that allowed them to replace the original photo with a new one. Okay. So that's quite bad, I think, considering safety is one of the primary things. Mm. Uh, And when Uber was on the probation that they have been under, uh, with transport for London, safety was one of the major concerns that was raised at the time, and Uber's defence seems to be we're working hard and we think it's unfair. Mm. <laughs> which, tell that to the people who've been picked up by someone who wasn't what they were expecting
1: yes now while the appeals ongoing they they are still it's still business as usual
0: which considering the nature of this the main issue. I am. I, I would imagine that it's the first time they've come across something like this. So this isn't in the way. So this isn't in the system. But I am absolutely gobsmacked they're allowed to continue with people who yeah. aren't the drivers, aren't licensed, because that means they were uninsured as well while this was happening. Mm. That they're allowed to continue doing uh, collections now. Like I say, I don't know whether the alleged glitch, as it's been reported, has been fixed or whether they can whether they can still this exploit can be still exploited by someone putting their photo over the registered driver's photo in the app. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the Autocast story said that there was, well, uh, although that was yesterday,
1: wasn't it? There would be a decision potential license extension later yesterday mm. and that TFL may get Uber took it by a metric data of its driver's
0: yes depending on what's biometric data and how they collect that and what's done with it etc cetera, etc cetera. because mm, yeah uh this has to be that has to be carefully thought through i think
1: yeah i mean we were saying before we came on that neither of us i don't think has ever taken an uber and it's certainly not changed your opinion has it <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I know that will shock everyone who listens to the Merchant Podcast regularly that I've not taken an Uber, considering how highly I regard the company and its culture.
1: <laughs> you can click on the link on the Uber blog that says "Share how you rely on Uber in London."
0: Yeah, won't be doing that <laughs> because you know we never, we could never get around London using local cabs or black cabs or other ways before, could we? No. No, uh, it it only ever happened when Uber turned up. Indeed. So we will be keeping an eye on that, and I I hope. Well, it's gone to show that the culture hasn't changed. They've got a new person in charge, but their disregard for the people who pay money is mm. still there. You know, mm. it's just ridiculous. Uh, there's another article that's going to be linked to in the show notes to do with this from Motoring Research, which is asking the question of whether Uber has contributed to London's pollution problem. The European Federation for Transport and Environment, (TNE) as for short, has released a report that claims that Uber has uh, increased the amount of emissions in the country. And I'm curious about the data in this, as again, anyone who listens to the show regularly, we always question the data that's put out in these reports, how they can get so close to being specific about Uber, stroke taxis, in this uh, emission side of things, I I would like to see some workings out, please. If you could keep them visible for us, because that's very specific data to be able to pull out of general emissions and pollution information. Mm, mm. I know I saw a link yesterday that was that was from an American website that was
1: uh, the adult website that was a kind of like a petition, I suppose too tell Uber and Lyft to clean up their act. And they were saying a similar thing, that because the expansion of the services, their negative environmental impacts are growing.
0: Yeah. Well, I know with TFL, aren't they going to be charging them if they're not full EVs soon as part of the ULEZ? Possibly. Uh, I think, I can't remember this so much on the ULEZ that I've tried to block out, I have to say. So uh, <laughs> check, that, check that story it linked in the article there for that. Right, let's let's move to some remotely good news, shall we? Yes,
1: yeah, so a move right across the globe to, to China. Uh, Toyota has jumped second place from fifth place in the January to September passenger car registrations, are we saying, or sales?
0: I think over there it's sales.
1: Sales in its January to September list. And they say it's partly down to its green tech push and aggressive sales efforts. Hmm. It claimed 7.8% of the country's new passenger unit sales during the first nine months, up from 64 a year earlier. Volkswagen was the leader, and they were both followed by GM and SAIC, with Toyota's compatriot Honda Motor taking fifth place.
0: Mm, that's impressive, considering China's market has been, I'll be polite here, dropping <laughs> for mm. 16 months now
1: yes but it it comes as as toyota unveiled or as lexus rather unveiled its first completely all electric car last week at the i think it was Gangzo, is not it or yeah yeah Gangso motor show the ux 330e which has a 54.3 kilowatt hour battery and can do i think it's 250 miles they say on um, an or electric
0: which is a pretty decent first shot yes yes it's a sign of
1: things to come i mean the company obviously has lots of heritage and experience with hybrid so it was the next logical step
0: yeah i think they've brought forward their timetable on full evs being released as well because of the way the market's going
1: Mm, mm. um,
0: and the way society is going (laughs) yes yes indeed but that's good news that there is any good news coming out of the china market (laughs) at the Hmm. moment for anyone, you know, and we all raise a glass in Alan's honour as he's not here this week on that article. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I'm going to move on to the news that a driver has been fined £100 when they were at a BP uh, service station, petrol station, it's not service station, petrol station, because they took too long from getting the fuel, getting a coffee, then doing a bit of a shop They exceeded the half hour they were allowed to be on the forecourt. Shell, in comparison, can be as short as 20 minutes on their forecourts. So, this raises a couple of interesting points for me. One can we all remember if you get the petrol, pay for the petrol, put your car in a parking space, then go back for your shop, Mm -hmm, not not block (laughs) a petrol pump, (laughs) please? The second thing is, I presume they're going to have to change this for electric vehicles. Yes. Because half an hour is not going to be suitable for all. No, indeed. Indeed. And the other thing is, these petrol stations have worked so hard to get us to spend more money, they've sort of brought this on themselves a little bit. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So that's a there's a little bit of light relief, except for the person who was... Uh, was in the car who took that long although quite how you'd spend more than half an hour at a petrol station i'm it's not for me i have to say that that side of i think i had heard about
1: this and the guy he says he paid for the car wash and there were six cars in front of him to use the car wash so i guess
0: that's why he had 30 minutes yeah that will delay you even further okay of course right okay that it begins to make a bit more sense
1: just wash the car by hand people don't use the car wash
0: no, I, I never use those machines. No, <laughs> I may pay for someone else to wash it by hand, but I won't pay for those machines. <laughs> right, tell us some good news about a motor show. Well, the British Motor Show is back. It's mm-hmm. going to
1: turn in twenty twenty next year at Farnborough International from the twentieth to the twenty third of August. Now, those dates have been chosen because it's half to, uh, summer term, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, So there'll be plenty of people about. And it promises to deliver 40,000 square metres of indoor space, a two-kilometre test drive track, and four acres of outdoor space.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I think any show now has to be interactive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This will be interesting because this is quite close to Goodwood Festival of Speed, which is seen by many as the UK's motor show now. Mm. it'd be interesting to see whether car companies go for one or the other because i doubt they can afford both so the pricing for how much it costs a, a manufacturer to pitch up will be interesting to see how that plays out
1: well also
0: it's it's in between well it's in between
1: goodwood and it's in between paris or frankfurt and i think it's paris next year being an even year even numbered year And it's even closer to that than it is to Goodwood. So in terms of date, I think. So it'll be interesting to see what happens either side or indeed to this event.
0: I mean, I hope it's a success, Mm. obviously, Mm. but I think it's a tough market. And as we've seen from more traditional motor shows around Europe, companies are dipping out. And it's interesting to see which shows they prioritise. It will certainly make an interesting
1: change from twenty odd years ago when I used to go to the NEC for the British International Motor Show, and you would just trudge around the NEC all day, yes, with no outdoor space at all and no, no and no interactivity.
0: No. The only interactivity was being told not to touch the cars. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that people want to watch. I think tickets are eighteen pound fifty. And kids go free, and there is an early bird. I can't remember when it was time to buy, or there will be an early bird time to buy tickets.
0: No, well, we'll watch out for that. Watch out for that one. Uh, right. Last bit of news before we get to Guilt Minute, and that is that the VA has a new automotive exhibition. You may have seen some pictures being tweeted out by various luminaries from the internet's car people. Uh, but Victoria and Albert Museum are opening, they opened the the exhibition called Cars, Accelerating the Modern World last Saturday, on um, mm-hmm. the 23rd of November, and it runs until the 19th of April, 2020. So you've got some time to go and see it. But they basically uh, take us through a variety of the more interesting vehicles out there and and things that have happened to them. But you can you can see if you click through the the article on uh, classic and sports car that there's they've just they've tried to pick a variety of vehicles that sort of have a, a bit of a twist and have helped sort of shape the way cars have moved because they got things like Ford's crazy nuclear powered concept from '57 when we were the world was much more optimistic about things. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think they, the important thing to
1: stress here is that it's not, don't go thinking it's going to be a 130-year rob through lots of fascinating cars. There are, there are 15 full-size cars, mm. so it's not a huge exhibition in terms of size, but it's more, I think, the cultural effect and all those kind of things.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's it's from reading through the article, it's meant to be more thought provoking than just a display. Mm, so they, they mm. talk about safety, they talk about speed, the tur- it it gets you to think about how uh, it helped with mass production techniques and all these sort of things of, of the effect that cars have had, uh, as you say, on society and the 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 changes that have been wrought because of it in areas we may not even consider. Yeah, I mean, the usual candidates there, you've got a Beetle, you've got
1: the Viet 600 multipler, you've got Mustang, the Mercedes-Benz patent carbon, I think, as well. So it is, yeah, it is, you know, there are some well-known cars there. But, yeah, I think it would be an interesting one to see. I think yep. tickets for that are £18 pounds as well, I think. Yes, £18.
0: Yeah. So go, go along and have a look, please, and then send us pictures. Yes. <laughs> Because my chances of getting there, I think, are quite slim. <laughs> right, that is the end of the first part. I no longer say half anymore. Uh, and it's guilt minute, that point in the show where we remind you to think about and consider what the Motoring Podcast is worth to you. If you feel it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange Become a Patreon button that's on the front page. If you're already a patron, then thank you so very, very much indeed. Of course, not everyone has the ability to do this, so please don't forget to like, rate, and leave feedback via the podcast player of your choice. If you've done that, then you are super wonderful, and we love you dearly. But now we ask for one more thing then, because we're always asking. How about accosting a friend whom you think will probably enjoy what we do. That's an important part of this. And telling them about us. And if for some reason you don't actually subscribe to the show, how about doing that? It is free to do so on the podcast player of your choice. That means then that the show will come to you without the anxiety and worry. Yes, we know it's both those things. That you may miss out on the next show. So there we are. That ends a very brief guilt minute. Uh, This show. Right, I'm going to move on to Formula E. And it was the start of the 2019-2020 uh, season.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They were in Diria and there was a, a double header this weekend. I have not seen any of the races. I apologize profusely to everybody. <laughs> I just have not had a chance, especially as there was two races. But as far as the races go, then Sunbird won the first race taking a dive with 10 minutes to go up the inside of his Mercedes rival by beating uh, Stoffel van Dorn. Bird was in fifth, uh, but managed to, to get there. So if you want to click through to the eRacing 365 article on the results, there will be the results page. We will also have the notebook for each of the days as well, because we always like those as some great extra bits of information, which you wouldn't normally find out really until uh, about, where how other drivers got on and um, any other problems that sort of cropped up and what people are talking about. So for Saturday, there was another race and Alexander Sims won his first race in Formula E with BMW, which is a a great result for them. And generally from looking on social media, consensus seemed to be couldn't happen to a nicer chap. So that's that's nice to see. There was uh, a few bumps and crashes in this one. Uh, where Friday was a little calmer, Saturday was less so, again, by looking at uh, social media and seeing the reactions of some of this. So there's a a few more penalties being thrown about here for quite a a number of drivers. So again, uh, click through on the show notes and you can read all about it from the ever-excellent eRacing365. Do you want to tell us about WRC? Yes, now I I was
1: quite surprised when I saw this link, but or the story last week. Following the decision of Sebastian Ogier to leave Citroen Racing after this season, Citroen Racing has decided to withdraw its programme next year due to the absence of a first-class driver available for the 2020 season.
0: Now, look, I know Citroen has a bit of a reputation for perhaps not capturing the true Nature of what they mean via social media, shall we say? But this does feel this is Citron Racing. This does feel very poorly worded. I mean, to to say there isn't another first class driver out there is quite a statement against everybody else racing in WRC.
1: Yes, yes, no, you're right. I mean, IGA has gone to Toyota, but it's still it's still a bit of a shock because. Over the year, well, you know, since the early 2000s, it's been such a successful team. Yeah. You know, Loeb had nine, I think it was nine titles with them. Yeah.
0: But when they but when they came back, but this this time round, they have been off the pace. Their car has for the last two years has been pretty poor, and for Ogier to be even remotely in the title hunt, I think shows how superb a driver he is. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though it fell yeah. off towards the end because it it's just not been competitive uh, and I wonder if some of meek's accidents before he left are mm, down to mm. the fact that he was pushing so hard to try and make it make the car competitive try and keep up with the front runners and everything because mm. uh, because he he seemed to be more than anyone else seemed to fare uh, poorly with luck in that car in the c3 but yes yeah they've they've just not They've not been anywhere near the standards that one would expect from Citroen, and I'm I'm not surprised that they have left. I think they've handled it very poorly, and then. Their uh, rally bosses had to then quickly come out with interviews saying, "Well, it's partly to do with the hybrid side of things as well, and this and that, and oh no, it's not us throwing our toys out the pram, which the tweet looks like. If you if you read it in a particular way, you, you, it looks like mm. they're throwing the toys mm. out the pram because Oji, with a year left on his contract, is gone. I'm done. I've had enough. I'm going to a. I'm going to a team that's up the pointy end. Thank you.
1: Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean. The team principal,
1: Pierre Boudard says to, it's quoted in the autosport story that um, marketing plays a part, the push for the electrification of the brand of the products and the marketing doesn't really fit in with the motorsport side. But uh, the motorsport is shifting is shifting too. Only Only yesterday or the day before, Volkswagen announced it's only just going to do... It's focusing on
0: e-mobility with its motorsport strategy as well. Yeah. So, so the Volkswagen brand is only going to race in anything with a full battery. Yes, its customer support
1: program will also be in electrified. Uh, the Polo GTI R five remains an integral part of the customer support program, though, but it will only be produced for customer teams. There'll be no factory-backed competition entries. Yeah. The Golf GCI TCR will expire at the end of this year. Um, But the parts supply and customer service will be guaranteed in the long term. But yeah, the main push is electric. And the first team for the electric rallycross series was announced yesterday. So that's all where it's going anyway. So it does seem a little bit we're going to blame someone and
0: yeah. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll attempt to save face, although we are making this situation worse by trying to do so in the way mm. we have. I, I just think it was very poorly handed, handled by Citroën.
1: Um, it's a shame to throw all that heritage away, but yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can understand Maybe stepping come back. back. I can understand stepping back, but don't don't look as though you're having a little hissy fit while doing it.
1: I mean, I'd say Andreas Mickelson and Craig Bream, which quoted Feather Dennis' article as names. Are fairly big
0: players
1: too. Yeah, but you know, well, hopefully they'll come back.
0: Yeah, maybe in time. At I, I just wonder whether that leaves the door open for one or two other manufacturers to show an interest in WRC because mm-hmm. I hope it's not just going to be down to two two companies. Because then, because it, it it always it's felt recently good because there's been competition, even though the the C3 has been off the pace. Occasionally, it has a good weekend. And it's great yeah, yeah, yeah. to see three different manufacturers fight. Now. It would be nice to see more, but I understand these, these things cost, particularly where they go. I mean, actually, all over the world. And as markets get squeezed and profits get squeezed, it's harder for companies to justify it. But
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, or well, with my vested interests a few years ago, you know, I was so pleased that the polos were doing so well, but it, it was turning into a bit of a Schumacher situation where. He would win every race or, you know, whoever would win every race. Mm. So it got boring from the, the spectators. Yeah,
0: yeah. So. Anyway, I'm going to move on to the lunchtime read. And this one is from Mark MacArthur Christie. And he is, uh, he is writing an article about, and I will quote the title here, The Future's Looking Bleak for Modern Classics. And it's actually quite a thought-provoking one. Uh, I've Mm. occasionally thought along these lines, but he's talking about cars that were built between 1979 and 2005 and the implications of ULEZ zones and other cities in this country and across Europe, actually, that are looking to ban vehicles that don't hit certain uh, criteria in the very near future, so especially with the eu zone expanding, so this uh, and and the and his point is more that as much about the fact that it's uh, it's not discriminatory. It just it's it's a blanket ban. It doesn't take mm, into account mm. different vehicles, and the onus is on you to show that your vehicle is not, particularly when it comes to uh, motorbikes, to show your vehicle is not uh, a dirty one. They've just decided it is, and you have to go and thrust pieces of paper under their noses to say look but no it's not thank you and you've got to do it on a case by case basis so mm. uh, I would thoroughly recommend you to read all the way through it because it is it is thought provoking hopefully it doesn't go that way but equally I can see it going that way yeah as Mark says they, there's
1: no differentiation between something like a Mercedes 500E that's that's you know well maintained and clean in, in inverted commas or a smoke-belching Peugeot 405 diesel estate. And, you know, all cars like Mark II Golf GTIs, Audi Quattros, E30 BMWs, mm. Honda NSX. Not that I doubt there'd be that many really in daily use. Yeah. Um,
0: but it also goes yeah. on into, because uh, he goes on to discuss, without giving too much away, but goes on to discuss how that's affecting the used the, the classic car market or the modern Era classic car market where people are putting this is Eulers compliant on the ads, and this is in mm, classic cars mm. because people have backed out of sales because they realised oh that it's going to cost me twelve fifty a day. Yeah, yeah. Have a read of that, and then hope that we can all have sensible conversations as we've repeatedly asked on this show about how do we clean up the air and do it in a manner that. Gets the job done, but doesn't target particular parts of society unfairly. Yeah, yeah. Take us through the list of the week, please, Richard. Now, hopefully this will work, everyone, because it's also a car
1: slideshow, and it didn't really work on my other computer. But it is the lightest modern era cars ever sold. And we know that lightness is good. in all things is four wheels or even two wheels.
0: I've got a picture in my mind of Nir Khan. Punching the air, shouting "Yes!" yes as we bring this <laughs> this list up.
1: It's especially for you, Neil. Anyway, <laughs> but it covers stuff like the Audi A2. I didn't realise it was that light. No, I like think I say I didn't realise it was eight hundred and ninety-five kilos. That's that's very light. Mm. Like the Alpha Four C, which is just stock production, which again is the same weight. Yeah, eight nine five. Toyota IQ. Uh, one thing I didn't really expect to be in there, but I was pleased it was, was a Peugeot 205 Rally. Yeah, which I just love. Look off cappuccino, which is that's actually that weighs as much almost as much as the 205. That's quite surprising, given how small it is. Anyway, other stuff like the Citroen AX, Daihatsu Shirad. So yeah, it's a good
0: list. It is run through it, and it seems to be working at the moment for me. It does. It does me too. Actually, I, I like one. that they've got the Gordon Murray T25 in there. Yes, and that is 575 kilograms, which is remarkable. Yeah, the Morgan three wheeler too is about the same. Yeah, that's a great picture in the auto car. It's the the Morgan. Yes, yes it is. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know whether that's deliberate or whether someone's having a moment. <laughs> <laughs> and there were, there are some oddities in
1: there too, like the Clan Crusader. Yeah. Which looks very of its time,
0: I think. But yes, that was yeah. No, that's a good list. Excellent list for you all to run through after. Right, and I, I thought I had to leave the and to you as well. <laughs> well, I I saw this not only because it looks very similar
1: to the one we've just got rid of uh, last week, but on the motor research, they are just one outlet that covered it. Volkswagen has made a all electric type two camper van which uses the running gear from the current pun not intended (laughs) e-golf it was converted i think it was converted by ev west i think yes in the us and it's a a collaboration between volkswagen usa and ev west Mm. and again it just it just fits in with the current trend for making classics
0: electric I think it, it suits some classic cars more than others. I mean, I know you'll get some people yes. thinking it's absolute sacrilege because part of the joy of a classic car is the the noise, the smell, the getting your fingernails very dirty, that sort of thing, all, all the joys of classic car ownership. But for, for, <laughs> to encourage more people to keep a classic car on the on the road, an EV conversion can make a lot of sense, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah. And Apart from looking slightly higher than a normal
0: bus would, mm.
1: it looks it looks really nice, and you and you wouldn't be able to tell it was electric.
0: No, because the interior they've kept pretty much there. They've just added yeah. a couple of yeah. dials that look fairly close to period style as well,
1: mm. uh, just mm. to, just mm. to
0: give you an indication on things like the range and stuff like that. So, I think it looks it looks cracking, especially as it's in the the beige or whatever the technical term for that colour is. Yeah, I, I don't even know, but the, that's what ours was, white with the beige, the beige bottom. Yeah.
1: But no, that's good. And it won't have any of the smoke coming through the dashboard like we had <laughs> because it's electric. <laughs> but it's good for 125 miles of
0: range. So, yeah, that's that's good. Because yeah, this is this is a vehicle you wouldn't be expecting to go fast in anyway. So it's not. Oh like, no, no, no! So it's no, not like no. you're going. Oh, look at me just having to potter along at forty, forty-five mile an hour. Well, if you're doing too much more than that, then it's going to get a bit hairy. I would, unless you've upgraded lots of things. <laughs>
1: yes, although Stuart Bird at T2Stew on Twitter, his he's one. I think it's a two-liter one, and apparently they are much better than the one-point-sixes. Okay, <laughs> much more suited to a longer journey, shall we say? Yeah.
0: No, uh, but I think, I think I know, that's a great that, idea. I think that's a great idea. Because yeah. you imagine uh, you take an electric, particularly like a camper van, electric camper van, and you sl- you do a slow tour. You know, there's a, this sort of uh, drive for um, slow TV and things like that. But if you did mm, a slow mm. tour of an area, you can only go so far, and then you need to camp up for the night and charge it. And this, this would be a great way to do it. Mm, yes, yes, you can hire one up north
1: somewhere um i can't remember exactly where but there is there is a place that has converted one and hire and you can hire it but if i can find the link i'll make sure you put it on the show notes okay, no problem.
0: right well just before we round this all up i've got a few parish notes i need to run through there will be a special edition out this friday so keep an eye on your podcatcher of choice for that I'm going to Caffeine and Machine this Friday, lunchtime-ish. So if anyone who listens to the show Ooh. is going to be there, please feel free to come up and say hi to the awkward looking chap walking around, not talking to anybody, looking at all the fabulous cars that are there, possibly all the Gaydon registered cars where people escape on a Friday. <laughs> also I've heard. Is
1: it is it a social or is it an, an event you can't speak of yet?
0: Uh well. In the evening, we will be recording our, what has become annual review of the year show. And we have special uh-huh. guests, plural, mm-hmm. multiple plural for this, that we're going to a secret location uh, and recording during the evening, discussing Alan and I's predictions from last year, which uh-huh. generally have been hopeless. <laughs> and then we will all be making predictions for next year. So if anyone wants to, uh, Send me or Alan what prediction you have for 2020. Feel free to do so via the Twitters. I'll give you the information on how to do that uh, shortly. But it also gives me the opportunity to say thank you, Richard, for stepping in and not allowing me to be lonesome. Okay. Having a good time chatting with you rather than just speaking to a microphone and boring people to death. <laughs> no, you can never do that. Very kind of you to say so. You can come back again. <laughs> so don't forget between now and next time you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram and there is a book of face page you can also get to- in touch with us via our contact page on motoringpodcast.com which is the hub of all our activities don't forget to please leave a rating and review on apple podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing it really does matter As Alan isn't here, Richard, what are the best ways for people to get in touch with you? I think Twitter
1: is the best way, and
0: it's at richgooding.com. Okay, link will be in the show notes as ever. If you'd like to get in touch with Alan and berate him for not being here, the selfish so-and-so, the best way to do that (laughs) is via Twitter. If you search for at AJPBradley, you'll find him there. If you want to get in touch with me, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter, and that's where you will find me. So... We'll be back very soon, but until then, I've been Andrew Clues. And I've not been Alan Bradley. And
1: safe motoring.